Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. You know it. I appreciate you wherever in the world you're listening to the show. Okay, today we are going to talk about deer. So I want everybody to close their eyes. Well, don't close your eyes if you're driving, but if you're not driving, close your eyes and think about Bambi, right? Cute little Bambi deer. Well, we're going to talk about how deer right now are actually having a serious problem in the Hamptons or the east end of Long Island in New York. So deer overpopulation is a huge thing going on right now, not only in the Hamptons in New York, but all around the country, we have exploding deer populations, which lead to car collisions, the spread of Lyme disease, and they really are setting off an ecological imbalance. And you have this rift between two sides of people. You have people who say we need to control the deer, and we have other people say that, you know what, we should just leave the deer alone. They're innocent, they didn't do anything. And on today's show, we dive more into this. I have on the show Eve Bishop. She is the host of the brand new podcast called Dear Humans. Eve comes on the show, She talks about what it was like growing up in the Hamptons and talks about what it was like dealing with the deer and how that kind of sparked a passion for her to start a podcast about it and address some of these alarming issues. This is a very fascinating podcast because it it not only talks about what's going on right now with the overpopulation of deer in New York, but what's happening just around the country. We also touch on hunting and the ethics of it. I know there are people who are pro-hunting, there are people anti-hunting, and we talk about it. I will note this might be controversial, but I hope you listen with open ears. We also talk about control methods. How can we control the deer populations? We also talk about how did we get to this place? Why are there so many deer? It is a very fascinating discussion that I know you will enjoy. Before we get to the show, I encourage you, as always, to rate and review the show. We're getting more ratings, so thank you so much. You can rate the show on iTunes, Spotify. I think you could also do it on Google as well, or any podcasting platform you are listening to. And make sure, once again, to hit that subscribe button. I also encourage you to listen to the after show. All you have to do to listen to the after show is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. Joining our Patreon page is a way to support our show. It's really cheap. It's like $10 a month and you get access to exclusive bonus interviews. After each show, we do an after show. And Eve and I talk about some interesting things, what it was like for her growing up in the Hamptons. And she tells me in the after show what shocked her the most after she dove into the research of deer in the Hamptons. She said it just was completely dark and disturbing, and it was just something that, like I said, really, really shocked her. So make sure you tune into the after show for that. With that said, though, let's get to it. Eve, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, and thank you for reaching out because you actually have a podcast coming out called Deer Humans, and you sent me a pretty interesting pitch regarding deer and the problems that are going on right now in the Hamptons. And I thought, oh my goodness, I think this could relate to a lot of places around the world. 
Yeah. So yeah, I grew up uh, on the east end of Long Island, which a lot of people know as the Hamptons. Um, you know, year round, it's it's a small town just like any other, but then the summer comes around and it's this booming vacation community where tons of people come and, you know, the rich and famous have their summer houses. And so it was this really weird, interesting place to grow up because, you know, in the winter it felt like a small town, but then there were just so many people that would come out during the summer and a lot of sort of environmental issues that stem from that unique vacation economy and the vacation community there. Um, and so growing up, I noticed that there were a lot of deer, you know, there were always deer everywhere, you know, we'd be driving down the road and there would be deer on the side. Um, so many times I'd be in the backseat of the car with my parents and we'd have to kind of pull over and wait for a herd of deer to kind of cross the road. Um, and unfortunately what that also meant is a lot of times I would see deer that were, were dead on the side of the road that had been hit by cars. Um, and this was a really, really frequent thing that I would see. I mean, I would see deer on the side of the road just as frequently as I would see squirrels that were, you know, becoming roadkill. And I also noticed growing up that people in my community had a lot to say about deer. Uh, people were always saying, oh, those damn deer, they're in my gardens, they're eating all of my plants, they're getting stuck in my fencing, um, they're running out in front of my car. And so they became really this sort of nuisance for people, um, which was always really weird to me as a kid, because looking at deer, they seem so cute, they seem so innocent, they seem like, oh, why would this animal be so controversial? Why are so many people so upset about this animal and, you know, it, it existing uh, in, in such a, a large capacity in my town? And so this became an issue that I kind of was always aware of, but um, it was when I came back home during the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was the first time I had really been home for a long period of time since I had started college, which I went to school in, in Southern California. Um, and just being home, it was it kind of like reignited my awareness of this issue and seeing these deer everywhere and hearing local conversations about how angry people were, that there were so many of them. Um, and so I kind of, at the same time, was getting into podcasting. And um, I, I just thought, this is an interesting story. I think there's a lot here. I think it's it's more than just, oh, people dislike this animal and that's that. There were, you know, conversations about disease epidemics. Um, there were conversations about uh, public safety and uh, development. And so there were all of these sort of issues that were intertwined with deer. And I thought, well, I, I need to learn more. I need to understand how did we get here in the first place? I mean, people were always saying deer are so overpopulated. There are too many of them. And I was always wondering, well, well, why? Why are they overpopulated? How does a species get to a point where they're so overabundant that they start interfering with uh, human lives? Um, and to the point where people are super angry about it. You know, how, how did we get to this point? And so that's really the question that got me started. And I started digging into it. Um, and that that's sort of how you know, how my podcast came to be. And that's a lot of what my podcast does is sort of dig into the how did we get here? How did we get here? And, and where do we go from here?
Wow. That is so interesting. And I think it can relate because this is not only happening in the Hamptons here in Idaho, just a couple hours from where I live. We have a kind of like a resort town called McCall, Idaho. It's a small little town, but 4th of July, Memorial Day. It's I, I don't want to say it's like the Hamptons because it's not, but it's like a, it's kind of like <laughs> a, a destination from our capital, Boise, Idaho. And right. they're having problems with deer. And we just had this conversation because you have locals who are just some of them, I just want them to be able to hunt the deer like other people to hunt while mm -hmm. some locals are like, oh my goodness, we cannot kill the deer. And it's this huge like divide between people. And I just had this conversation. And so that's why I think your podcast can strike a chord, not just with people in the Hamptons, but around the country. Now, can I ask you just quite frankly, I don't know if you want to give it away or not, but are you like pro deer or anti deer like saying do you think that we should just sure. oh you know what i mean like leave the deer alone or do you think they should be managed yeah so that's a, that's a really interesting question because i think my stance on that actually changed a lot throughout oh. the process of, of of interviewing and learning more and creating the podcast so i think coming into it um, you know, to be transparent, the, the reason I kind of got into, you know, into wildlife issues was because I have a very close family friend. She was sort of a mentor to me growing up and she is a wildlife re rescuer. So she's a real estate agent, but on the side, um, sort of just as a volunteer hobby, she is a rescuer. And so if animals are hurt, she, uh, is sort of on like a hotline, um, and she volunteers to go pick up animals who have been injured or sick or, you know, need help for whatever reason and bring them into a local wildlife rehabilitation center. And so growing up, she would come over for dinner. She was close family friends with, you know, my parents, and she would tell these stories about rescues that she was doing in the community. And I was always so captivated by that. I mean, I thought that it was so, you know, heroic. She would, you know, get a text that there was a deer that had been hit on the side of the road and needed help. And she would just drive right over, pick up the deer, put the deer in her car and bring the deer to a, a rehabilitation center to be saved. Mm. And she did, did this with deer, but also birds and rabbits and groundhogs and really anything, uh, anything you could imagine. And so she would tell these stories. And I just thought, that is so cool. And, you know, in high school, she actually brought me to uh, the rescue center that she volunteers at to show me around because I was I was interested and I wanted to learn more. Um, and that that center is called the Evelyn Alexander Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, um, which is in Hampton Bays, uh, which is, you know, right right next to the Hamptons. And so when she brought me there, I was just totally in awe of all of the staff there. They were all so just gentle and capable and really just all so passionate about helping animals. And I just always loved animals growing up. I, I just always was pulled towards animals, just, you know, loved animals of all kinds. And so when I saw the work they were doing there, I was like, this is so important and so valiant. And so coming into the series, that was sort of my, my way in was, was Jane, that's her name, um, my family friend. And so Coming into it, I was definitely on the deer side. I was definitely like, these animals are innocent. They uh, didn't ask to be involved in this conflict. Um, the reason for their overpopulation, which you know we can get into, is entirely human caused. I mean, the reason why this species is overpopulated, it, it's a consequence of human actions. Um, and that's something I really dig into into the first episode of the how did we get here. 
And so coming into it, I was totally on the side of like, why are we persecuting animals that we are responsible for, for mm. this overpopulation? Like that doesn't seem fair to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to give it all away, but I think I, I, that perspective didn't completely shift. I'm not like, you know, now like going to be out there in the woods doing hunting by any means, you know, but, but I do think that I gained uh, a more nuanced perspective on, you know, understanding really like the root of why people are so angry. And I think, you know, you'll have to tune in to listen, but I think that I was surprised by some of the things I learned and more understanding of, you know, the other side. And I think something I really came to realize was maybe this conflict isn't so black and white. Maybe there is a lot of a gray area and um, there is no right answer. And so I think that's something that I sort of grapple with over the course of the series is, um, you know, coming into it from from really a diehard animal lover perspective, but also realizing that there are these greater ecological consequences and that has to be considered as well. So I think uh, I gained a lot more uh, respect and understanding for, you know, hunters and conservationists who previously maybe I had some some judgments over or, you know, didn't really understand it. Um, and now I think I have a broader perspective on that. And again, that's not to say you're going to find me out in the woods with a bow and arrow. I still love animals. I'm not going to yeah. be someone who's, you know, all the way on the other side, but I think I'm, I'm more understanding of, of a variety of perspectives now. Yeah. And hunters, it's such a controversial topic too. You know, um, people have their views and, you know, I have, I have friends who hunt, but they only eat you know, the, you know, the, the game they harvest, they don't eat at the stores, which I feel like is way better. Like I still eat meat. You know, I try to, I mean, you know, from the stores, I I don't personally hunt, but I feel like what they do if they're eating meat is way more ethical than what I'm doing. And that's just me being blunt. And I'm very aware of that, but you know, let's just kind of get back to it. Like why are the deer overpopulated in the Hamptons. I think I have an idea, but can you give us a little more insight on why we have this exploded population of deer in the Hamptons and everywhere really in the US? Yeah, no, totally. And yeah, as you said, it's not just in the Hamptons. I mean, my my series is focused there because that's where I'm from and those that's the community that I'm, you know, affiliated with, but as you said, it's it's happening all over the country and especially all over the East Coast. It's it's a huge issue. Um, but in the Hamptons specifically, I spoke to quite a few wildlife biologists who kind of helped me break this down and helped me understand from, from an environmental perspective how we got here. And from, from what I've learned, um, the, the biggest factor is suburbanization and property development. And so back in the late 1800s, um, a lot of forests, the majority of the forests on Long Island were cleared due to timber demands that was really ramping up. And so what used to be this huge patch of continuous forest started to get broken down into smaller patches um, that were sort of edge areas. And, you know, while that was happening, there also started to be regulations about hunting. So prior to, I believe, the 1900s, there weren't really any regulations for how much people could hunt. It was it was fair game. Whatever you could shoot, you could hunt. And so, you know, while forests were being cleared, that was also happening. So there was started to be more regulations. And so less deer were being hunted. And the clearing of the forests actually led to sort of this creation of, of edge land. And deer are edge animals. So they really are attracted to areas that are sort of between the forests and properties. So sort of that low-lying grass that they can 
feed on. And so what the clearing of our forests did was create a lot of those pockets of land that really can can feed deer populations and cause them to grow. And so, you know, later in the in the 20th century, when, um, you know, America was really suburbanizing at a rapid rate, especially around the 1970s, that's when that's when the population just started to really explode because deer again thrive in the wake of human existence the what we do to the land is actually feeding deer and it's actually enabling them to um to you know overpopulate um and then another factor is that also prior to you know the the turn of the 20th century i believe um, we extirpated wolf populations. So there used to be wolves on Long Island and coyotes as well. But, you know, as we were suburbanizing the land, you know, people don't want to live in areas where there are wolves and coyotes. So, um, you know, we, we extirpated them and those are the natural predators for deer. And so all of these factors, you know, now deer, there are less people hunting or, you know, there's there's more regulation. So less deer, um, there are no natural because we extirpated them. And now the land is also, um, you know, being shaped in ways that are really beneficial to to deer surviving. And so all of these factors sort of work together to eventually lead to this sort of boom around the 1970s, where populations just started to explode. And then into the early 2000s, it just got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, as we continue to develop, you know, there's in the Hamptons, every summer, mansions are being built. Um, more property is being turned into, you know, commercial and residential, you know, houses. And so that's just creating less and less space for the deer to go, but at the same time, creating the kind of space that they thrive in. And so what happens is then there's no space for these deer to, you know, live in the woods or on the edge of the woods. So they're running out into the roads. And so people are seeing them everywhere because there's less and less forest space. And so it's this combination of of events that really led to this explosion. And then also more and more people coming out each summer, which means there's less space for deer. And these deer are then, you know, really interfering with human life. But that is all, you know, the consequence of all of these little things that work together to just lead to this boom. And all of those things, you know, were, were done by us, by humans. And so... I think that's something I really learned was, wow, this is people are really angry about how many deer there are, but it is entirely caused by us. And I think that's something that is difficult to grapple with because it it is, in a sense, our responsibility because we we put them here. We did this. How many people do you think in the Hamptons actually know that, though, (laughs) that it's all human cause? Yeah, I I think people don't really want to interrogate that. You know, I I, I don't think people, um, you know, have, I mean, I didn't know any of this either, right? This is all information I got from speaking with, you know, environmental professionals and wildlife biologists. So I, Mm. I don't think a lot of people know. And I think if they really interrogated that, they could probably figure it out. But um, no, I, I think it's it, a lot of people just aren't aware that this is something that, that we did. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, so when I think of the Hamptons, first of all, I've never thought of deer. So thank you for, you know, just, yeah, you know, feeling insight there. Because I think of mansions and I think of the rich and the famous going there in the summer and going to their beach homes. So do they allow hunting on the Hamptons? Like, I cannot see a Cabela's on the Hamptons for some reason. It just does not, like, it doesn't cross my mind. Right. 
Yeah, well, I think I spoke to quite a few hunters for this project, and what they told me is it's very limited. So oh. I think there are there are places sort of adjacent to the Hamptons. I mean, there's there's a small island called Shelter Island, which is in between the North and South Forks of Long Island. So Long Island, the Hamptons are are on the south the South Fork of the island, okay. and in between the North and South Forks, there's this other island called Shelter Island, and a lot of hunting can happens there, but. Um, you know, that's not like what you think of when you think of the Hamptons, you're thinking of like the the glitzy East Hampton, Southampton beaches. Um, so, you know, they're not so much, but in areas around the Hamptons, there is some hunting, but it's very limited. Um, there are a lot of restrictions because, yeah, a lot of vacationers don't want to be woken up to, you know, you know, shots being fired in their backyard. So, yeah, it's definitely... I think that's one of the big issues is that it, it is super restricted in, you know, the the amount of deer you can take and then also the places that you can hunt. Um, it is limited. So so that's definitely an issue. Yeah. And I think in McCall, Idaho, when I was talking about earlier, that little vacation mountain town that is, you know, near where I live, they were proposing bow hunting instead mm -hmm. of, you know, is that something that they propose in the Hamptons? Yeah, and, and most of the hunters I, I spoke with do use a bow. Um, I think there's a mix of both. But yeah, I, I think people are more open to bow hunting, you know, for obvious reasons. But um, yeah, most of the people I spoke to do do use a bow and arrow, you know, as opposed to a gun. But I, I do think that there are places where uh, you can use a gun as well. This is such a sticky topic, though, because, yeah, I mean, how are <laughs> like deer are they're so cute. They look so innocent. They're out, you know, munching around people's gardens. Like how horrific would it be if, you know, Sally goes out to her garden, sees a beautiful, you know, herd of deer, and then you have a hunter go and, you know, take one out with a bow and arrow. I mean, it's a very sticky topic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, there is a lot of stigma around hunting these days. Sure. I mean, some of the people I spoke to told me that hunting is really kind of going out of fashion, at, at least compared to, you know, what it used to be. And it used to be a lot more socially acceptable than it is now. And so, you know, a lot of the people I spoke to said that there is a real stigma and they kind of, you know, know the places where they're welcome and they know the places where they're not. And they have to be really careful about how they conduct themselves because they know that they're sort of representing the hunting community and and what people think about hunters. And, you know, I'll admit going into it, I, I certainly had my own, you know, preconceived notions about hunters and kind of thought, oh, that is not something I would ever do that, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. But I, I will say after speaking to the hunters I spoke with, I gained a lot of respect for the work that they do, because as you mentioned earlier, hunting, you know, it's a lot more ethical than going to the grocery store and buying factory farmed meat. And, you know, the hunters I spoke with, they said in their entire careers, you know, years of hunting, they've only killed maybe three or four animals because they, you know, they, they eat their whole harvest. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, one deer will last their families a really long time. It's a lot of food. And also, they really will only take shots if they're 100% sure that it's going to hit a major organ. And that's something I wasn't really aware of, was that the at least the hunters I spoke with are very, very focused on making sure that the shot is ethical, and they won't take a shot if it's not ethical. And again, not all hunters are, you know, mm -hmm. are perhaps like that. I mean, you know, I spoke with um, three women hunters who are part of a women's hunting collective on Long Island. And that was really interesting because when you think of hunters, you probably don't think of women. That's probably not the first, the first demographic you'll think of, but there actually is this sort of 
growing community of women hunters on Long Island who are sort of working to change the perception of what it really means to be a hunter, because at, at their core, these women are conservationists. And, you know, they what they're doing is, a, as I said, a lot more ethical than than what a lot of people are doing without maybe even knowing it just yeah. by going to the grocery store and, you know, contributing to the factory farming industry. Um, yeah. So and, and 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 also, you know, these hunters are also motivated by the overpopulation issue and yeah. by helping to sort of be be, you know, members of the community. Um by, you know, by taking down populations while also, you know, feeding themselves. So I think there there are multiple reasons why people do it. And that's something that, you know, I, I learned a lot about throughout this process. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to judge. It's so easy. Yeah. I, I lived on the Snake River for over five years here in Idaho, and it's a beautiful place. But during hunting season, it sounds like the 4th of July. And yeah. I, I love ducks. I love the birds on the river. I love the bald eagles. But I would just get so angry. I mean, shots waking you up at six in the morning and it's, you know, and it's like, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of what you get when you live on the snake river here in Idaho. But it's like, I really thought about it. Like, why am I so angry with them? Yet I can still like eat a chicken breast and like grill a chicken right. breast on the grill and have no problem doing that. And yet I'm mad at these people. And so it, it, it you can, it's very quick to judge. But if you really think about it, you're like, oh my God, that's probably a lot more ethical of what those people are doing than what I'm doing. And that was something hard to swallow, but it's really true if you think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think it's also just people, you know, it, it's like, if you're out there doing it yourself, you have to think a lot more about it, right? You're thinking, yeah every step of the process, like I'm tracking this animal, I'm killing this animal, I'm butchering this animal, and then I'm eating this animal. And, you know, when you compare that to what most people do, there's just a lot less thinking involved. Like we, yeah. we are so separate from um, the process as a society of getting food. Like we are so, you know, not connected to our food and to our food sources. And I think that that's, partly an intentional disconnect. We don't want to have to think about it because a lot of those realities are really hard to face. But what I really respected about the hunters I spoke with is that they are just facing the reality of how we get food head on. And they are, you know, involving themselves in every single step of that process. And I think that's really noble because I think a lot of people just are sort of, you know, willfully ignorant about how how we get our food, how we interact with our environment, and you know the means that we have to to take in order to get there. And so I think that's something that is really respectable is like facing that head on and involving yourself in that process, um, while also you know helping the community because you know again this all comes back to overpopulation and all of the issues that stem from it. And these hunters, you know, are feeding themselves in a more ethical way than most. But then also they're they're you know sort of helping from an ecological and community perspective. So I I think that there's a lot to respect about that, and um, you know that's something that I was really really happy to have learned. Just because I feel like I have such a such a deeper respect and understanding. You know, again, I'm I'm not, not going to be out there hunting, but at least I can you know understand where people are coming from and, and have a lot more empathy for people who have different life ex life experiences than than myself um and and different hobbies than myself and so that's something that i i really gained from this experience what do you say to the people on the other side who are anti hunting who say we need to leave the deer alone yeah i mean i think that's tough because i, I also have such a deep respect and and 
you know, admiration for animal rescuers and, and wildlife, you know, advocates. And so I think, I, I think everyone is entitled to their opinion, to, to be honest. And I think uh, what I would say is, is maybe just interrogate it a little bit more, talk to a hunter, because I think it's very easy to criticize someone who's, you know, on a different side of, of, a, of a controversial issue than you if you don't, you know, have a face, if you don't have a conversation. It's very easy to criticize like an abstract group of people like hunters. It's very, mm. you know, you're not, you're not really looking at it as, oh, this is a human being, this is a person. So what I would say to, to anyone who falls really on either like extreme side of the spectrum is have a conversation with someone who maybe has a totally different opinion because I think that really can help, you know, humanize humanize that that group of people and you know it happened with me i mean i was as i said totally on the wildlife rescuer side but i had these really just open honest conversations with some hunters and that really just i I think it allowed me to have a more nuanced perspective so i would say just have a conversation with someone who who has a totally different opinion than you and it might not change your opinion but it might help you um at least understand where other people are coming from and have more respect for that I think so. And yeah, I think having a good sound conversation is key. And also you could look at the things, you know, like how deer are affecting us. I mean, you mentioned in your email to me, I mean, car collisions, Lyme disease, ecological imbalance. These are like three key things that are really, you know, kind of screwing things up right now in the Hamptons. Yeah. And, you know, especially Lyme disease. I mean, I think that's that's a really interesting one, because what what I've gathered is I think people who maybe otherwise wouldn't really care, you know, people who aren't super tuned into environmental issues, um, you know, maybe people who personally haven't had any, you know, car collisions with deer, they might not care that much. Mm -hmm. It's Lyme disease that makes people really care. And, and not just Lyme disease, all other tick-borne illnesses. I mean, there's a whole you know host of, of, of illnesses out there. Lyme disease is the, the most common one, but that's really the issue that I think makes people care because it's, it's when your health is put at risk that that's when people start to, to say, oh, we have to do something about this. And you know, I can say I, I had Lyme disease when I was a little kid. I had it when I was five years old, and I was very lucky that we found it early enough that we treated it and I didn't have any long-term you know, effects. But I also know people, and I've interviewed people for the podcast who've really, really suffered from Lyme disease and um, not only suffered from the disease, but had a lot of issues getting it properly diagnosed because Lyme disease has a really wide range of symptoms and it's pretty under-researched and new in terms of epidemiology. I mean, it was only recognized formally as a disease in, in the 90s. And so that's that's relatively new in terms of medicine. And we don't have a vaccine for it. Um, we don't have a, a, a concrete treatment. I mean, there's, there is doxycycline, which is an antibiotic that's used to treat it, but it's not always effective depending on, you know, how late or early you catch it. Um, and so I think you know, Lyme disease, it's its scary. It can really, really impact people long-term. I mean, it can become neurological. And so that's really scary. And I think people immediately connect that to deer because deer 
carry ticks. They carry ticks into our neighborhoods. I mean, all those deer that you see in your backyard or on the side of the road, they're also probably carrying ticks and dropping those ticks off. And that's how people get Lyme disease and other tick-borne illnesses. And so I think that's something that people attach a lot of anger towards um, towards these animals because they really are instrumental in the transmission process of, of these diseases. And without them, you know, it, it, there would probably be a lot less of this disease. And so that's, that's a very strong association there. And, you know, rightfully so. People are fearful because it's not something you want to get. It's something that can be very detrimental long term. And deer are intimately involved in the process of bringing it to your backyard. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I learned a lot about was, was how Lyme disease is really a big, big, big factor in this issue. Mm-hmm. So I guess to kind of sum it up, after your research, you've talked to a lot of wildlife officials, researchers, biologists, ecologists. What are their thoughts? What is the solution? Is it more of a, is it just opening up hunting, allowing more hunting in the Hamptons? Is that what everyone is, the general consensus on how we can control the deer in the Hamptons? Yeah, so I, I think hunting is the big one. And I think it's the one that people immediately think of, of, you know, this is a concrete way we can bring down populations. Um, but you know, it's, it's tough because, you know, as we continue to develop the Hamptons, there's less and less space and less and less, you know, people who actually are out there wanting to hunt. And so, yeah, there, there are conversations about, you know, bringing in, you know, hiring groups of hunters to actually cull deer, which is sort of the, the intentional hunting of deer to bring down populations is, is what we call culling. And so that is definitely um, one of the, 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 the big things that people think we should do. Um, but there are, there are other things as well. I mean, with, with Lyme disease, I think, you know, I, I spoke to a lot of Lyme disease researchers and people who study ticks and study these diseases. And what they said is, you know, there's a lot of, you know, scientific research that needs to be done. So more money needs to be put towards the study of Lyme disease coming up with a vaccine, because in reality, that that would be the, the, the big thing for for tick-borne illnesses is to have a vaccine, a viable vaccine. But, you know, in the meantime, what they were stressing to me is that there's a lot of things that we can do to protect ourselves. So I think education and learning how, you know, personal safety, teaching that to, to everyone. So everyone knows how to do tick checks. Everyone knows, you know, the types of sprays that you can spray on your lawn to, you know, keep ticks away. And so I think there's a lot um, there that, that kind of comes down to, you know, personal safety and everyone sort of being able to educate themselves and learn how to protect themselves while we're waiting for these sort of bigger, you know, more policy level, you know, changes to happen and for these scientific discoveries to happen. Um, and then I also think that there's, there's also sort of the argument for um, controlling our development, controlling the types of properties we're putting up and actually creating more wildlife corridors within these residential areas. So one of the animal rescuers I spoke with, he was really advocating for, um, you know, man- having better management of the type of fencing we put up because mm. what he said is in the Hamptons, there are actually a lot of regulations about, um, you know, you- you're not supposed to enclose your entire property, you know, end to end with a fence. You're supposed to have at least some space for wildlife to be able to cross through. But none of these regulations are actually 
enforced. And so I think, um, you know, having local officials actually enforce regulations about the type of fencing and the amount of fencing you can put on your property and encouraging, you know, neighbors to open up five, 10, 15 feet between their properties for animals to be able to get through because that would actually prevent deer from running out into the roads as often. You know, if we had corridors between properties so that deer could access the backwoods without going along the roads, that at least could, you know, mitigate some of the car collisions that are happening. And so, you know, all of this, I, I think, points to that there there are so many different consequences of deer overpopulation. And I think there are different tactics that need to be deployed for for different things. So, you know, there, there are things we can do to prevent car collisions. There are things we can do to prevent Lyme disease. It's not all, you know, going to come down to one, one solution. You know, hunting isn't going to fix it all. Um, wildlife corridors aren't going to fix it all. I think there are a lot of little things that need to be implemented to sort of tackle all of these smaller issues that contribute to the big issue, which is, which is deer overpopulation. But I think, I, I think it's a combination. I think there there is no one right answer, and I think there are a lot of little things that can be done um, to, to 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 better the situation. Because again, it's it's really complicated, and there are so many things that go into it. So there's not there's not one solution, but there are a lot of different solutions that are offered. And I share a lot of that in the podcast, um, especially in in the last episode. I sort of grapple with, okay, what have we learned? What are all of these different solutions? How can we implement them together? Um, in, in a way that that can really solve this problem or at least help help solve this problem because it is a big problem and it's not going to get solved overnight. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, Eve, I will definitely be tuning in Dear Humans, the podcast. There's four parts to this released on February 23rd. Eve, thank you so much for coming on the show. Will you join us for the after show? Come on and hang out for a couple more minutes. Absolutely. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And uh, listeners, I will put the links in the show notes. But Eve, can they find Dear Humans, the podcast on all major podcasting platforms? Yes, it is on you know Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, you can find Dear Humans. Um, yeah, any anywhere you listen. That's awesome. All right, audience, if you want to head on over to the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. With that said, let's go to the after show. Woo! Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.